Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Our number two is here from 6th and Peabody. This is OutKick 360 across the OutKick network with Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Championship tonight between North Carolina and Kansas. We've spent the first hour. If you missed it, you're just joining us. Hit the podcast wherever you download your podcast. Brandon Wright, uh, Tar Hill, 12-year NBA vet, joined us on site, and uh, we broke down the matchup for tonight's championship game. He gave his review of Carolina's win over Coach K and Duke in the Final Four, 81-77, the final, and the Tar Heels advance to the national title matchup. Is Tiger Woods advancing to Thursday at Augusta National, guys? That, that's now the second, I wouldn't even call it second-tier headline. It's like 1A, 1B, national championship tonight, and Tiger continuing to go through practice rounds at Augusta. Um, a buddy of mine is there, and before he stepped inside and had to turn his phone in, he sent me the text that said that Tiger just teed off with Justin Thomas and Fred Couples today. So he's going through a practice round at Augusta and uh, it will be a what they're saying, a game-time decision, a Thursday morning decision on whether or not we get to see him in the 2022 Masters. Yeah, we were surprised to see. We were, we were calculating that he would have to decide Wednesday night. But, in fact, he could decide headed to the tee box on Thursday. Um, and we were wondering if, if they'll have a sub ready who's warming up simultaneously to take his spot or if they just tee off a man short. Uh, depending on, on what uh, that's he a, decides. I don't know how that works because I, I've seen it where they called in Ian Poulter last minute um, one year to come in and play. and um, I bet there's a 90-second guy there ready to go. He somehow got, go. An, got an exemption to, to play. I think that that's the key, though. You have to have an exemption somehow in order to, to be ready to go or you win your way in last minute. Well, I've seen a lot of tweets and social media repeating uh, the exact quote that you were referring to, Hud, about him saying, you know, you, you don't play unless you can compete for a championship. Personally, I, I think that standard changes after you have a, a, a traumatic car accident and the things. I, certainly there, there's a, a, a small piece of him that's going to hold out hope that he can do that. I think if he plays, the standard changes given the circumstances. Things change in time. And given the circumstances, I think a win for Tiger Woods this weekend, if he does play, would be a different thing than, than the traditional Tiger Woods win. We all want to see him play. We all hope he can play. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's given. I think we, he, he wants to obviously see how he feels over the next couple of days doing what he can do out there. Um, but I think, uh, like we were talking about last week, Chad, I think you said, you know, making it out of the first two days would be a hell of a victory. But even... Uh, you know, just playing, playing the, the two days uh, and not making the cut, they're, they're, you could take a lot out of that given where he's come from. I think Tiger Woods, with something like this, obviously he wants to play 
to eventually compete for championships. That's part of it. But to compete for championships, it's not step foot on the golf course day one, 14 months after nearly having your leg amputated and competing in that tournament to the bitter end and possibly winning a championship. It's that's step one in competing for championships again. I don't expect Tiger Woods to go play golf professionally on the PGA Tour unless he feels like he can win eventually. I also don't think even Tiger Woods, I don't think he's going out there thinking, boy, I'm all the way back. I'm ready to go. I'm in this thing. I got a great shot at winning this tournament. I should win this tournament. Tiger Woods at his height is going to be disappointed when he does not win a tournament. I don't think that that's going to be the case this weekend. I think it's, I feel good. All reports are on the driving range. He looked good. Lots of reports about his club speed not looking any slower. So go out there and see how you make it through what he hopes is every round, making the cut, getting through Sunday, and then see where you stand. Again, I'm not tossing this out here like, oh, you know, it's just recreational now for Tiger Woods, and he doesn't care if he ever wins anything again or does anything. But I do think that step one in competing for championships is playing in a major and playing in golf tournaments and building yourself back to where you're back to that spot to win another another championship at some point. Well, he's on track to play. I think that's that's clear. That's great news. Um, It's it's great. Um, I, I think the mindset for him is likely wanting to play without withdrawing. Yep. And, you know, if he thinks he can do that for four consecutive days and four rounds at Augusta and walking that course and doing all that, absolutely. Terrific story. He's teeing off on Thursday morning. Um, and that, that in and of itself is a separate storyline, uh, competing or not, for the tournament that is always, you know, the, the marquee tournament, at I'm, least for me, I'm wondering if the every fo- year. forecast is a factor. I guess it could be. Um, you know, if it's a different deal, if it's if it's wet or or windy or both, um, and I hadn't I haven't looked at that, but uh, that'll be interesting to see if that plays any any role in what he decides. I'm, Guys, really, I'm really happy, by the way, just to have this talk of Tiger Woods this yeah. week. I'm going to be thrilled if he plays at all. I'm going to be super thrilled if he makes the cut. That's my standard going into this week. I'm going to be happy if we've got Tiger Woods to watch over the weekend to any extent. To me, that's the goal. The weekend uh, schedule for Augusta is clear, the, the, the weather-wise. The problem is over the next three days, it's going to be soggy and lightning is going to keep people off the course, um, and that includes Thursday. At least that's the projected forecast right now. That can't be good for him, stop and start. I, yeah, it I wasn't would, good for him with his old ailments. I think that could play a factor. Um, but to the point where it keeps him from teeing off, maybe not. Um, for performing at a, at a high rate, maybe so. It's just incredible that we're to the point, um, 18 months removed, that, that he's now at a, a spot where he can play it's at, at the Masters. Um, guys, Yeehaw and Old Smokey having us out here in the beer garden today. They have the new Pilsner. Pilsner. They have the new uh, Heffy, which I believe Paul has Paul's in front that. of him. Uh, new beers on-site seasonal here with Yeehaw. Some great flavors as well with Old Smoky Moonshine that you can have on site uh, here with Yeehaw and Old Smoky uh, each and every day with us at 6th and Peabody, 6thandpeabody.com uh, for more information. Uh, cheers to everyone for the national title tonight, to the Very Masters, nice. and to everyone else. Uh, check out the new seasonal beers from Yeehaw Beer.
Should I pour my beer into this coffee mug? No. And be, you know, the joke that everyone has on every talk show that oh. someone's got hard liquor <laughs> oh, in there the whole time. And I, actually there, have the, I actually have the hard liquor. Well, Hoda just had the wine Yeah, they out. just have the wine. Their whole thing is they have a huge jug of wine anything. in front of them. They're not hiding it. They're not hiding anything with that. How about this trade? The Eagles and the Saints. Uh, Eagles pushing back a little and uh, presuming the Saints aren't having a great year. The Eagles have traded number 16, number 19, and number 194 this year to the Saints for number 18, number 101, number 237, a first-rounder in 2023, and a second-rounder in 2024. I think the the way to break this down is – um, the Philadelphia had three first-round picks, and correct me if I'm wrong on that. They had three first-round so. picks. They've traded one of those picks in exchange. Two of them. Um, well, they, oh yeah, okay. They, they're getting one back. Yeah. They traded one of those first-round picks in exchange for another first-round pick next, next year. year. And to my knowledge, as I look at this, because there's a lot of numbers involved, Philly still has two first-round picks, and they have two first-round picks next year as well. Yeah, so they're pushing pushing one back, and, and I think in doing that, you're also thinking the Saints aren't going to be a terrific team this year. You're you're counting on that pick to be, I think, a pretty good pick, right? Well, it, the Saints are going to get a quarterback. Like I, that's how Stop I pop. view this. Yeah, um, and you know that this is the first first move that we see of the draft order with a, a bit of a shakeup. Eagles. Again, still have two first-round picks this year, um, and they they have essentially traded the pick that they received for Carson Wentz that turned into a first-round pick. They've traded that in exchange for another first-round pick next year and other picks this year that will help supplement everything together. Plus a second in 2024. So what the, the Eagles have set themselves up for, and they say they're all about Hurts, but if Jalen Hurts doesn't, prove right. himself again this year, they're in position to do what the Saints are about to do, and next year they'll have two firsts plus an extra 2024 second where they can go move up and chase a quarterback who's probably going to be a better quarterback than you have uh, the, the Saints going for this year. And Saints setting themselves up to have a first-round quarterback this year competing with Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton. They're going to have a lot to choose from in Dennis Allen's first year. And there are multiple teams with at least two first-round picks next year. Yeah, we'll get into this later in the week. There are haves and have-nots in this draft like never before. Like 25% of this first round is held by, I think, seven teams. That maybe shifts a little oh, well, bit with this. But it's, it's going to be even more next year. Next year, keep in mind the Dolphins – have a first-round pick from the 49ers next year for Trey Lance, just like they do this year. Um, You have Houston, who now has Cleveland's first-round pick next year. Um, The Seahawks just got a first-round pick in exchange for Russell Wilson. They've got multiple first-rounders next year. And the Lions have a first-round pick from L.A. for the Stafford Stafford. trade. So those are all in the mix this year. So now Philly has put themselves in that mix with draft capital if, in fact, you've got to go get a franchise quarterback. And what the Saints have done by adding a, a, an extra first-round pick this year, I think they have pick 16 and 19 in the first round. You can combine those and move up a couple spots if you need to to go get a quarterback if there happens to be a run on them for whatever reason early in the first round. The, yep. the desperation for not just a quarterback if you don't have them, 
but even for the next quarterback, if you're not completely sure or you know your guy's getting old or a contract situation up. is so high right now, uh, it, it's amazing. And we know about if you don't have the guy, you got to go find the guy. But now it's not just that. It's it, with the hurt situation. We think we might have the guy, but let's hedge just in case. Because if not, then we got to go get the guy. Hey, we like uh, the possibility of Jameis Winston okay, and we're set up nice, but we need to be nicer. So let's make sure that we set ourselves up for that. It's crazy. The quarterback market and the adjusted future quarterback market has never been better. It's really true. Something something to behold. And, uh, you know, these quarterbacks are you know, increasingly in the, in the mocks that I'm looking at that, that nobody's talking about really uh, anywhere right now. But you see them going increasingly six and eight. Carolina and I'm not thinking of who has eight. But um, Atlanta, Atlanta, Carolina and Atlanta uh, taking and same division, mm-hmm. getting an influx. And now uh, New, New Orleans setting itself up. You know who started this and it backfired on them? The Packers drafting Jordan Love. This was a, hey, two years from now, we might need a guy. So let's do this. And it completely backfired against them. Well, none of these but that was the start of the, boy, we better Rogers. rush to figure out the next guy after this well, guy, even though we have this guy right now well, playing before, at high level. Before before Jordan Love, there was Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson was the 32nd pick in the first round by Baltimore who traded up to get him. And at the time, they had Flacco and were paying him top dollar and completely reconstructed their offense based on that pick, even though you know, at the time you're thinking, wow, this is a, a pick for the future. The difference there is none of those teams, uh, Flacco being the best of the quarterbacks we're talking about, you know, nowhere near the Aaron Rodgers talent yeah. with the multiple MVPs and a, and a Super Bowl ring. Well, Flacco did have the Super Bowl ring, but it wasn't uh, – he had a, one great preseason and then uh, was over overjudged off of that. Coming up, we, uh, we'll continue to break down this trade and what it means because I think if Sean Payton's the, the head coach in New Orleans, immediately the headlines are which quarterback are they after? You know, are they going to package these two first-round picks that they have to move up again and try to slide into position? But with Dennis Allen as the head coach and, and Carmichael there and what they've done this offseason, do they have other motives offensively, defensively, whatever it might be? I think if you're making a move this early on, you're trying to position yourself to move up again and go after the quarterback that you want. Like We can break it down further as the show progresses. Uh, we continue to break down the national championship game as well. Dan Dockich is about to join us. Um, Chad, you, you saw part of his show this morning across the Outkick Network. Do you have a spoiler on which way he's leaning in the title game, or do we not know? I didn't see that portion of it, but I did see his reaction to the reaction to Coach K losing, which we'll ask him about. Dan Dockage is next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get to crown a national champion tonight. Carolina or Kansas. We continue our breakdown on Outkick 360 live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. 
and Dan Dockich, host of Don't At Me across the Outkick Network mornings. Uh, you can catch him. If you did, if you missed him this morning, you missed a great show, a uh, great analysis and breakdown from the semis, Duke, Carolina. We're going to get his thoughts there and also a big preview of tonight's game between Kansas and UNC. Dan, hope you're doing well. Oh, man, I'm doing great. I thought you guys were in front of Hinkle Fieldhouse when I first came <laughs> on. The brick behind it looked like the butler insignia. So happy, happy April, Dan. Happy April. Give me that again. Happy April. I, I like to name all the months after you, after your thing. We came to yeah. Hinkle Fieldhouse, and so we didn't even tell you we were coming. Yeah, we're here. We're here yeah, in your well, country. That, that would be bad for you because I am a good time here in Indianapolis. <laughs> I'm a good time. Dan Dockage with us uh, on Outkick 360. We've actually got Jimmy Chitwood joining us here in a little bit. But, Dan, I want to start with uh, – Something you said on your show today that I find myself, I was watching, love your show, by the way, don't at me, every morning on the Outkick Network, but talking about the reaction to Duke and people saying, oh, it's disappointing, it's this, it's that, they lost in the Final Four, and and you were discussing just how difficult it is to make the Final Four and that people really shouldn't feel that sorry for Duke in this whole thing. Yeah, you know, look, um, Indiana University, my school, we think of as a basketball power, been to eight Final Fours in their history. You can add Purdue in there. They've been to two. That's ten Final Fours in the history of college basketball between two schools that have every advantage to go to a Final Four. So when you look at Duke and you win the ACC championship outright and you go to the Final Four, that's a hell of a year. Look, I get everybody wants Coach K either to win or to lose. I get all that. But you know what? These players, they lost a really hard-fought game, and it's going to sting, and it's going to sting for a while. And, you know, with Coach K, I assume that's going to sting for a while and the assistance and all that. But the truth of the matter is, man, you've got to a Final Four. That is ridiculously hard. But you know what? Duke does it like it's their job. It's like an expectation. North Carolina kind of does the same thing. So, look, you, ha- you you got beat. North Carolina has all the talking points for a long, long time because of the last two times they played, and North Carolina can make this weekend, I think, the greatest weekend in the history of North Carolina basketball with a win over Kansas. But in my world, man, other than losing to your rival, you got nothing, nothing to be sad about if you do. You had a hell of a year. Dan, I'm watching the conclusion of that game, and everyone's got an eye on Coach K and what his reaction is going to be. He's got his wife walking by the student section, thanking them on her way out before the game's over. He gets on the golf cart and gets carted away into retirement. But what jumped out to me more than anything was Hubert Davis's response, which was not really to acknowledge Coach K at all. You know, there was barely any talking to him uh, in the, the handshake line. Did not mention Coach K once on, on the broadcast after the game. Um, I don't know that it, there was no lack of class with it or anything. I guess it just surprised me that for longtime rival schools, there wasn't one, hey, I want to take a second and say, you know, that's a great program and that's a great coach on the other side. There was no mention of the other from Hubert Davis. Yeah, and, you know, Hubert's one of the most, if not the most gracious coaches. That tells you, look, I, I was talking this a little on my show in Indy. When you live it every day and it's eight miles from you, and let, let's just go through this, okay. So a few years ago, North Carolina has this this academic scandal. Well, there are a lot of nasty things said by Duke people. There's a lot of nasty things in recruiting is what I've heard. 
from Duke people relative to North Carolina. And then all of a sudden you got the Zion Williamson deal with bank records and, and you know, all this other stuff. And well, a lot of nasty things said by North Carolina people. This isn't just when you see these teams. This isn't just, you know, the game. You know, this game. This is nastiness that's year-round. I, 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 my wife and I went, and I think I talked about this with you guys, we went to North Carolina's campus the day of the first North Carolina Duke game. And, you know, we walked in a bookstore, and, man, they got pictures of Shashevsky and a rat. They got the ugliest five to ever play. I mean, you live it every day. Um, I'm not surprised. I, I'm really not. I, I think there have been a lot of things between these two staffs. You know, uh, North Carolina did not go out of their way to honor Coach Shashevsky. I think North Carolina feels a little different than Duke. I think North Carolina feels that the way uh, Dean Smith or the way Roy Williams, you know, yes, last year, went out is the right way to go. Make it about the players, not yourself. So I think, hey, look, I think it's one of the reasons it's one of the great rivalries, if not the best rivalry in college sports, is that there is that level between the two schools, and there is that level, certainly, as we've seen between the two programs. Look, I did see before the game that Hubert Davis was talking to Coach K's wife, so that's cool. But let's be honest, man. When you're dog-eat-dog every day and the pressure is on for recruits, pressure is on for attendance, tell you the truth, screw that other team. It's kind of how I look at it, and I get it. Looking at tonight, Dan, I can't help but think uh, UNC maybe uh, has, has more to overcome in terms of the emotions from that semifinal, certainly. And, uh, you know, they're, they're big stud rebounder is going to have some, some issues with that ankle that uh, he overcame maybe a little bit at the end of the game. Uh, am I overrating those two things as a factor tonight as a number eight goes against a number one? No, I think Baycott's been great, the kid you're talking about. He dinged up his ankle. What what happens is you really don't go to sleep, Paul, after the game. Like you, trainers are in there. You've got, you've got compression. You've got ice. I mean, it's constant. He probably uh, slept in an air compression ice booth and got up and did the same. They're getting him ready, and he wants to get ready. So, no, I don't think you're overstating that. And I think the, the reason Baycott is so important is that David McCormick, the big guy for Kansas, has been terrific. And really, David McCormick scored 15, and then he scored 25. And they really don't look for him. They're smart the way Kansas does it. They run their offense, and then they find McCormick. So Baycott, his his health is no joke. Usually, I would say the emotion thing, eh, but not in this case. Again, I go back to this, man. You live that every day as a player. Who beat North Carolina? North Carolina, who beat Duke? You know, that whole thing is big, and the emotion of Coach K, the emotion of that game was different. It just was. It, yeah, it, it's a big game, Villanova and Kansas. Yeah, it's a monster game. Yeah, you're hyped up, but there's just a little something more, and the key for me is going to be this. I learned this as a player. I learned this even more as a coach, man. You can be sitting there, and a player can look right at and he looks like he's as ready as he was for the Duke game. But only the player knows that inside there's just a little satisfaction. There's a little complacency. There's not just quite that turn of the switch or, I don't know, a sense of urgency that you have. And only the player is going to know. Like, I think I've told you guys this before. Coach Knight used to look over our heads when he talked to us as a team. He didn't look you in the eye. 
And I asked him one time, I said, why do you do that? He goes, well, he goes, you might be sitting there like this, staring right at me, uh, but you ain't listening. Another guy might be sitting like this, kind of sitting back, and I think he's not listening, and I get mad at him, but he may be listening more than the guy that's faking it. Only the player knows. And I'm telling you, human nature is such that they were so hyped. There was such a sense of urgency. We've got to beat Duke. Human nature just says that little bit of a relaxation, if that creeps into North Carolina, they're going to have a hard time tonight because they're playing a damn good basketball team that's playing at an uber-high level. Dan, I think that you were underrated as a media critic uh, with sports media during these games. And I follow your Twitter account because you, at one point you said, announcers still don't understand why Villanova's getting beat this bad and didn't really follow it up with why, but said they didn't get it. I, I'm watching. I want to ask you about one specific thing within these broadcasts. Kenny Smith, and I like guys who are honest and don't lie, but Kenny Smith playing cheerleader during the broadcast for North Carolina, wearing a North Carolina color tie, didn't hold back, led the students in a cheer uh, during halftime of the game or right before the game. And Grant Hill, who takes the opposite approach. I couldn't tell you Grant Hill went to Duke uh, watching that game. He played it right down the middle for the entirety of the broadcast. I know it's different in pregame and halftime as opposed to the game, but what do you think about those two guys and their approach in this big moment with this big rivalry? Well, I, I think that that's the show, and I think it's the best show, pregame, postgame. I think that's what Barkley does. I, I think that's kind of the show. Uh, on TBS with those guys. I, I think that's who they are, and that's how they've made that show really popular. I think sometimes when you get going in-game, like I don't think Grant Hill says a thing. Like I had a very good friend of mine say, hey, Dan, did Grant Hill actually play basketball? Like he, He's there just to giggle you know, with Raftery, really. I mean, if you really listen to what they're saying, it's a totally different deal during the game than it is on the halftime show. The halftime show, you have a lot more latitude to do and that is the way that show goes now if you saw a buttoned up show like if you saw chapman and and seth davis and candace parker doing that you'd be like yeah what are they doing but i do think that show is lighter i think that show is is draws that out of it in terms of grand hill look when you're doing a game hell i had to do this one time i i had to do i had a wrong color tie on i was doing a uh uh, I had a red tie on doing a Marquette, Wisconsin game, and I actually borrowed a tie from one of the managers on one of the teams that was, was neutral, was like purple, because, you know, Trico's like, yeah, I don't do that. The difference between the NBA, NBA don't care. College, everybody's so emotional. But Grand Hill, you can't really cheerlead during a game, but you can during halftime. So I really didn't have a problem with it. I had more of a problem with they didn't understand that the defense of uh, freaking Kansas – in the first 10 minutes was as good as anybody's ever seen. They double teamed the ball. They swarmed the entire ball. And when you do that, guys understand that if coach, that the ball seems to go in on the other end when you're locked in that defensively. And then they had absolutely no clue that after two passes and the ball going below the free throw line, Villanova was switching to man to man, but hell, that's just me sitting on the sidelines. It's easy to do. But I got no problem. There's a big difference between in the game and in the studio. Dan Dockage with us on Outkick 360. Don't at me with Dan Dockage. Mornings across the Outkick Network, 9 o'clock Eastern is where you can find him right here on this channel. Uh, Dan, it, the, the magnitude of this game for the coaches, 
Hubert Davis with a chance to win a title in year number one. Meanwhile, Bill Self can win for the first time since 2008. Put in perspective for us what this what this title could mean for each of them moving forward. All right, I'll tell you, the, the list of guys that have won multiple championships, I think every guy's in the, in the National Basketball Hall of Fame. Now, you got to understand, <laughs> the National Basketball Hall of Fame is a little bit different now. They just let you in. Like, if you're popular enough, they're going to let you in. But the, multi, the list of guys that have won multiple championships elevates Bill Self uh, beyond, you know, the list that's won one. He becomes in rarefied air. For Hubert Davis, I, I've said this all week, man. This is this is the chance for the biggest wins in the history of North Carolina, the biggest weekend in the history of that school, which – Guys, there are very few schools that transcend the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000, 2010s, and 20. There are very few schools that do. Carolina's won. And the reason I say that is because North Carolina obviously has a chance to win national championship. They've done six of those, so it's not that often. They already got rid of Duke. They already, and Mike Krzyzewski, in the Final Four for the first time they've ever played Duke in the NCAA tournament. They ended Krzyzewski's career. They ended Krzyzewski's career at home. Uh, I'm telling you, for Hubert Davis and the North Carolina basketball family, they win this game tonight. It's the biggest weekend ever, and I mean ever, in North Carolina basketball history. And I swear to you, all you got to do is go to the Dean Dome one day and look up in those rafters, and you'll be like, damn. How many guys played here? Holy cow. And I'm talking about in the 50s. So I really believe that. Uh, Roy Williams actually believed that when he came on my show. It, it's, it has that because of Duke and because of eliminating K and now a national champion. Uh, that's how big it is. I, I really believe that. So Brady Manick, I'm watching him against Duke, and he's a great offensive player, hit some terrific corner threes. Uh, with guys draped all over him in that game. But I'm watching him defensively, Dan, and, and he can't check Bancaro in that game. And I thought Duke should have gone to him more because they weren't double teaming. And it was one-on-one -on -one the entire time. When you've got a guy like that, how do you make sure that you are doing what you need to to let him help you offensively while also doing what you need to to help him defensively when you know it, there can be a mismatch on the other side of the court because the guy's just not a great defender. Yeah, there's two things you got you got to do. Number one, you got to make sure that you don't bring anybody into Bancaro's way that they can switch to. Meaning, <clears throat> I don't need a littler guy with Bancaro having the ball out at 20 feet. You got to do that. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to run your stuff, whatever your stuff is, and a lot of it would do, is in the middle of the floor. And the beauty of Bancaro, and I agree with you, the beauty of Bancaro is he's basically a 6'10 guy playing as a guard. So what do you want to run for that? Well, you can run a ball screen out on the perimeter as long as you don't get the bad switch. You can run anything you want, screen and roll in the middle of the court. You can pin him down as a screener and post him up. I'm kind of with you. Like, I don't think that you got to stop what you're doing to get him the basketball, but I think Duke had a problem with this the entire year. I go back to their Florida State game where they lost on the road, and, you know, Wendell Moore is the guy didn't even look for Bancaro. Then they cleaned it up, and Bancaro hit a game winner. And then they went back and did the same thing, didn't get it to him against Miami. So with a guy like Bancaro, it's not like, you know, Shaq, 
where you're just going to plop him on the block. Or it's not like a point. You can do anything you want with Ben Carroll because of his skill set. And I agree with you. I thought him at the top of the key, number one, he's very comfortable drilling the three, which means they got to respect him coming out. And then number two, hey, look, if you want a ball screen with a guard, then you can pop the guard, let them switch, drop Ben Carroll in the post and just throw it up. I thought Manic did a really good job of two things, well, of, of a lot of things, but one thing in particular. In the first half, when he knew he could not get his shoulder squared in front of Ben Carroll, he literally opened up and let Ben Carroll lay it in. Now, here's the deal with that. They play five guys, basically, is what North Carolina plays. Now, Bannock is in his fifth year. If he reaches in or he slaps or he tries to slide over late and he gets in foul trouble, he knows that's worse than giving up a bucket. The second thing with that is he also knows that his coach over there isn't going to squeeze him, pull him out for not for letting a guy lay it in. If you know what I'm saying, like coaches sometimes, and this is Big Ten coaches, I say it all the time in the tournament, they get mad about stuff like that. You didn't rotate over. You gave up a layup. I'm taking you out. Hey, not in the tournament, baby. Not with a guy like Manic. So I thought Manic was very smart. I thought the second half, he did a much better job of anticipating and sliding in front and making at least Ben Carroll shoot over. But there are so many things you can do with Ben Carroll. And I think, and Seth Greenberg, my good friend, and I talk about it all the time, Coach K's the greatest coach ever, all that. But late in the game, he's always been a little bit too democratic as a, in, in terms of who gets the basketball. The great Tom Moore, offensive uh, line coach for the Colts, always said players, or players, not plays at the end of the game. And I think you saw too little of Ben Carroll. I agree. So, Dan, how do you envision tonight playing out? I think I, I'm going with Kansas. I think that Kansas uh, has guards enough to get underneath Caleb Love, get underneath Davis. They're going to play off of Leaky Black, see if Leaky Black can make a shot. Remember, you had four guys uh, in the North Carolina-Duke game when, when North Carolina beat Duke at Duke that scored 20 points apiece. Duke didn't have the same kind of quickness at guard that I think Kansas had. I think Remy Martin and Harris are going to be important. So I'm going to take – I think it's going to be back and forth. I think that eventually uh, Caleb Love's going to stop start missing those monster shots that he hits. And I'm going to take Kansas. I'm going to give the four. Uh, I think that McCormick is not going to have the same kind of game that he had. But I do think if McCormick can at least stay out of trouble, neutralize uh, Baycott – that's a big advantage for uh, for Kansas. And I think between Lightfoot and, and uh, McCormick, they'll do that. So I'm going to take Kansas because their guard play, <clears throat> I think defensively, is going to be good enough to stymie North Carolina a little bit. Dan, I, I'm taking a flyer here. Maybe we end up with a great story, maybe not. But all, all the coaches that I'm connected with, I'm not name-dropping here, but if I text and say, hey, you want to come on the show today, they're all at the Final Four. They're all at the championship game. Is is gossip at an all-time level whenever these coaches get together, or is it frenemies and then the enemies that they keep on the other side of the room? What is it like? Well, you know, a few years ago when I went, I couldn't keep track of who the hell my enemies were from being in broadcasting. <laughs> like, oh, that guy's pissed off at me. Oh, that guy's mad at me. No, we can't. Uh, let me tell you why gossip is at an all-time high this year. 
You saw what happened with Will Wade, right? Well, Kansas is in that same conversation. You know what I mean? I mean, Kansas yeah. is all over that federal trial. And guess who's coaching tonight? <laughs> Bill Self. You get a bunch of coaches that smell fresh, jealous meat, right? Because there's jealousy all over the place, right? Because Self is there. They're not. Self's got a lifetime deal. They're afraid to, you know, step on their own shadow because they might. That's where the all-timer is. I guarantee you the conversation at the Hyatt or the Hilton or wherever, the coach's hotel, can you believe Bell Self's coaching in this game? When is the NCAA going to crit? I think it's been five years. I guarantee you that the NCAA comes back on him. I don't care if they win. This championship will be negated. I'm telling you, man, it's – oh, man, it's – Whatever your definition is of the biggest gossips in the world, this is worse right here today. Jealous all meat. Today. Jealous meat. I, I, I think that, that needs Jealous to be a new meat. T-shirt for Don't At Me. I'll, Jealous meat. I'll buy that T-shirt. <laughs> Jealous meat. Uh, you can probably meat. get some here at 6th and Peabody at Hinkle Fieldhouse South is what we'll call it here. Uh, Put it on the taco menu. That's right. Yeah, yeah. taco. They'll sell some tacos here at White Duck Taco. Jealous meat. Um, Dan Dockich, if you're missing his show, you shouldn't uh, each morning across the Outkick Network. You can follow him on social at Dan Dockich. Dan, you're the man. Thank thanks. you as always. We'll thanks, catch Dan. up later this week. Hey, thanks, guys. Thank you. See ya. Yeah, Dan Dockich there from Don't At Me with Dan Dockich. Jealous meat. It's a good one. I love how he already <laughs> knows the topic of conversation, even though he's not there. That was perfect. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360 uh, is where you can interact with the show. You can also join chat in the chat. Uh, we can, coming back, uh, hit some other headlines. There's a headline going underneath the radar a bit with the Washington Commanders. This is big. And Daniel Snyder, as of at the owners' meetings, the discussion, that the headline that came out was Snyder's taking a step back. And then Florio had a column 72 hours later that says that Snyder's back in. <laughs> back. And w- now there's another report out about them hiding money that they've made off of ticket sales. This we- is where you hurt the other owners. Yes. become concerned. Yes. We-, we will discuss this coming up on Outkick 360. Hang with us. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The show goes on from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad Withrow, Paul Kaharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us. So, the Washington Commanders continue to make headlines for the wrong reasons with Daniel Snyder and uh, ownership there. So, the latest report is that they've allegedly held back visiting NFL teams' ticket revenue um, and have done so knowingly, someone within the organization. Now, the report does not name names to... The highest extent, meaning like Daniel Snyder's not mentioned as telling his employees to do this. But the House Oversight Committee received information that alleges that the commanders kept ticket revenue that is supposed to be shared with the other NFL teams across the league. And according to NFL bylaws, all teams are required to pass along 40% 
of ticket sales from each home game that is distributed and dispersed to funds across the NFL. Now, this does not just impact the owners because ticket revenue goes into the overall salary cap calculation at the end of the year for the following year's cap. And to put into perspective of how much teams are making, you have to turn to Green Bay for this. They're they're the publicly owned franchise in the NFL. They made $77 million off of ticket sales last season. Washington did not sell out at the rate the Packers did. So you can't go to that extreme. At least I don't. But if you're taking some things off the top here and you're visiting teams and the rest of the league is not getting their fair share, that's how you turn ownership against you from an ownership group that uh, and, a, and a power that has, for the most part, had his back by saying nothing. Yes. So, listen, uh, the, the tone of things seems to be, listen, you've got bad behavior going on, salacious behavior, uh, you know, borderline criminal behavior. Um, there but before the grace of God go, I, uh, you know, I've got skeletons in my closet, too. I'm not going to meddle in your business. I'm not going to get you forced out by the commissioner as, as one of your uh, 30 colleagues, the Green Bay's publicly owned. But mess with my money, and that's a different deal because we're all here uh, as filthy rich people getting filthy richer. And uh, I think this, uh, sadly, qualifies as a different kind of sin. Right. And uh, we'll come with the torches and the pitchforks on this one, guys, because – you're messing with – this is a cardinal sin here. We report the money. We're all rich. We report the money, and we share this, these certain buckets of money. You mess with the buckets of money, now you've really crossed the line, Dan. Now I'm pissed, and I think that's how this goes. And this is also not us collectively getting together and, and uh, sorting out financial improprieties amongst ourselves. This is a Congress – Right. They're doing this at Congress, and you know what they're going to do next? They're going to come and look at my books. Because they're looking at the hostile work environment, yes. and this is part of that. Spills now, into it. Also keep in mind that the, the, the ticket sales revenue is the only revenue that individual franchises share amongst the collective group of ownership. The rest Meaning, is TV money. If you, if you, the TV money is shared, but the, I, I'm saying no, it's the— It's not individual. That's league money. Right, but it's dispersed— evenly across the in this case you get 40 percent that goes out um this doesn't like for instance um if the commanders charge for parking that is 100 percent revenue for the commanders if they want to charge for concessions in in house that's 100 percent revenue for them if they want to um you know charge for local sponsorship deals that are on the banners inside their stadium that's revenue for for ownership, for the franchise. That's not going back to the salary cap. That's not evenly distributed across the league. What is are ticket sales. And this is where you hit the rest of the ownership in the pocketbook, Chad. And this, and this is be, how you lose faith in the collective group that one, keeps you in well, place. One quick aside. This, you, this used to be me and you. So if, if you were the, the Bucks and you were playing at Washington – we split 40% of that right. home games. And then because things were skewed and you might be doing a lot better than I was, we threw 40% into the pot and we split that all up. Sorry, Chad. Well, and I, I don't say this to say that this is right. I'm not you know, judging morality or what's right or wrong here. I'm just telling you what is. What the media 
values and what they think is the worst possible crime or sin is not what rich billionaires feels the worst possible crime or sin. And, Paul, you, no you, you were talking about that, too, and I completely agree with you. Uh, sexual harassment, uh, peep shows with cheerleaders, bad things. Everyone would agree. But owners, they don't care as much about that as don't cheat me out of my money because most of them will look around and say, I've done this, 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 this that Daniel Snyder's done. Most all of them would probably check boxes and all that. Or don't come but, but they into also, my stuff. they also come back and say, but I didn't screw your money. I, I filled out all the boxes. I made sure you got yours because you made sure I got mine. And that is the unforgivable sin to these owners. It, that's just the way it is. And I'm not saying that's right, but I think this is what, if proven, it's what's going to get Daniel Snyder. And it's not clear how long this alleged scheme went on or for how much. So if it's 40%, I don't know, based on the reports, front office sports and others have had this, I don't know how much was you know, how, off the how top. How much they underreported and for how, for how long. Don't know. Um, and again, but it doesn't just, matter. Just probably. allegations. There are apparently two sources on this that are providing the information uh, to Congress and to, I would suspect, the NFL on top of all this. But, you know, this goes back to it's no different than what's happening in Miami with, with the, the allegations and the lawsuit there. The, the problem in Miami is that there, there was an offer on the table to tank games on purpose. That, didn't, that affects the integrity of the league. In this case, the problem here is you're affecting the overall salary cap for players and you're affecting the money bottom going line. into the pockets and the bottom line of ownership across the league. That's where you cross the line in the minds of the owners. Headlines when we return, including a big trade in the NFL.